What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with Avery Acconini. Avery is the president of Vayner 3. She leads the company's mission to build long-term Web3 and NFT strategies for the world's leading intellectual property owners, serving brands, celebrities, and athletes. We talk about her experience leading VaynerMedia's expansion into APAC, growing a team from zero to 150-plus employees, the future of Web3, and the importance of building through a bear market. I really hope you enjoyed this episode, but before we get into it, let's quickly run through our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've been wearing a Whoop for several years now, and it has made a massive difference in my life. It's the only tech product that I wear 24-7, so it's pretty cool to see people like Patrick Mahomes, Rory McIlroy, Michael Phelps, and Justin Bieber wearing one also. Whoop automatically measures your respiratory rate, oxygen level, resting heart rate, heart rate variability, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. Sure, it might sound complex, but Whoop interprets the data for you so it's easy to digest and actionable. And now, their 4.0 is officially back in stock and shipping in real time. But here's the best part. Whoop is offering my listeners 15% off their Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. So go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter Joe at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Next up is 8sleep. 8sleep has dramatically improved my daily performance. For me, I was never able to get a good sleep because I was always too hot. But now, I am falling asleep in record time, faster than I have before, all thanks to my 8sleep Pod Pro cover. The Pod Pro cover by 8sleep is the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. You can add the cover to any mattress. The temperature regulation will create the optimal sleeping environment by adjusting to each side of the bed based on personalized sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature. The results are proven to be true. 8sleep users fall asleep up to 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, and get overall more restful sleep. And it's not just me who sleeps on an 8sleep. The product is so good that it's garnered the attention of CEOs, Olympians, UFC champions, and even the Mercedes F1 racing team. So go to 8sleep.com slash Joe, that's J-O-E, for exclusive Memorial Day savings through June 6th. Cool down this summer with 8sleep, now shipping within the USA, UK, Canada, and Australia. Joe Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of Joe Pompliano and his guests are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion by Joe or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, let's get into this episode. All right, guys, I'm here with Avery, who is the president of Vayner 3, V3, formerly known as Vayner NFT. They just recently did a rebrand, and she runs basically NFT strategy for Gary Vaynerchuk's media operations. They work with clients in a bunch of different capacities that we're going to dig in today. But before we get into that, Avery, how are you? I am doing great. It's a gorgeous Monday in Miami, Florida, and I'm excited to be spending the week before your wedding with you, Joe, on your show. I'm a big fan. Of course. Thank you so much. Happy to have you here. So thank you for making the time. I think the easiest place to start probably though, is just a little bit of your background, right? I think when people hear overseas, the NFT side of part of the business and stuff, and, and they're probably a little bit confused at least of how these jobs come about, how you got into this role, how you got into NFTs in general. So maybe let's start there with just kind of where you came from, how this all came about. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee, and I moved to California for college and from my early part of my career. And I started working at Google in 2012, which was an amazing time to join a company that was fundamentally revolutionizing how people access information. So I worked across search, across YouTube, and across DoubleClick, which was a Google acquisition, and got to see so many different sides of the business and 
understand how much Google's technology was really changing people's lives and also helping companies build brands on the more B2B marketing side of things. So I was working in Google's media lab and Gary Vaynerchuk came in and did a presentation and gave one of his talks. And I was very inspired by how different Gary's approach was to marketing versus a lot of the other agency executives that I'd been exposed to. And what was so different about it? So first you just look at Gary, right? And every other agency exec is like wearing a suit and tie. And then there's Gary wearing like a hoodie and sneakers and dropping F-bombs and keeping it real and being himself and and also talking about the practicality of, you know, how he thinks about marketing, of really like trying to sell things, trying to influence consumers, trying to get followers, trying to have that direct sort of one-to-one relationship with your fans, which is very different than, you know, the can lion obsessed agency CEOs. Imagine more of like a Don Draper from Mad Men contrasted with like a Gary Vee. And I was like, this dude is either absolutely crazy or absolutely onto something, but I'm very interested in what he's doing. And he used himself as his own like media platform, which I also thought was just genius. So I ended up going to work for, for Gary at VaynerMedia, which is Gary's core business, core part of VaynerX. And we worked with, you know, VaynerMedia continues to work with a number of Fortune 500 companies doing everything from Snapchat filters to Super Bowl commercials. I then went to start our business in the Asia Pacific region, starting with Singapore and expanding into Bangkok and Tokyo and Sydney and some other markets. And and that went really well. And we weathered the storm of COVID and were able to build a really interesting team doing really cool work for, you know, clients like P&G and YouTube and, and many others. COVID was definitely a different world in Singapore, very, very strict. So I was catching up with Gary at the end of 2020 and we started talking about what's new. And in early 2021, he got introduced to the concept of crypto punks, which are one of the most valuable NFT projects ever. And yeah, from there, Gary got really interested in NFTs and started directing a lot of the folks on his team to read about it, to learn about it, to get hands on. And then we just dove headfirst into all things NFTs. And over the past year, that's also evolved to really include all things Web3. Gotcha. Yeah. And I think it's probably one of the reasons why Gary has been so successful to some degree is he's certainly seen some trends, but I think even more so he's acted on them very quickly. By the time you guys were probably doing this, most people were probably trying to still figure out what an NFT was or, or strategies around it. And he started really building a business on it that that to some degree was additive to what he was already doing in other instances. So talk me through kind of that conversation a little bit, right? Like how does that go? Hey, Avery, we want to start working with NFTs. We should be advising clients on, on kind of how to do these projects and so forth, not only in NFTs, but Web3. And were you on board immediately? Did you have a bunch of questions? Did you understand it? Like, how convicted was he that this was the right decision, I guess, is also part of the question. Yeah. So we were talking about what my next move would be, right? And Gary, in addition to being the CEO of VaynerMedia, he's also an investor in a ton of companies. He's a founder. He himself had the idea to be an NFT creator with BeFriends as well. So we're talking about a bunch of different things. We're actually looking into a plant-based milk company for a while. And we're actually like fully diligencing what that would look like and all of that. And it, it sort of became clear that the NFT opportunity was much more interesting and also a place where Gary's path, like one from a business standpoint, this made more sense. And secondarily, from where Gary's interest was, he was really interested in NFTs. And Gary always likes to be a hands-on practitioner with something before he goes and sells it to clients. And the launch of eFriends in May of 2021, which was led by Gary and, and Andy Kranick on the eFriends team, really gave us that hands-on learning of like, this is all the stuff that is really hard. This is what works. This is what doesn't. These are the vendors that we think are legit. These are the ones maybe that aren't the best fit for us. 
all of that stuff gave us a ton of learnings that ultimately established the confidence to launch Vayner NFT in July of 2021. Because like you said, everyone is was kind of wondering like, what is an NFT again? And uh, especially with, you know, May, June, July, 2021, no CMO was hearing anything about like how this could be applied to their business. It was so such a new early, early, early conversation. So they were more like curious than anything else. And when we talked to a couple of our, you know, longstanding VaynerMedia partners, like we really believe this is going to be the future of how brands engage with consumers. They were like, okay, like, let's try to figure this out together in the same way that VaynerMedia had shepherded these companies through their first social pages. They brought us on to help shepherd them through their first Web3 experiences, which, you know, has manifested as collaborations, as drops, as launches, as Discord channels, and as crypto wallets, and, and so many other sort of facets of the Web3 ecosystem. We were very early, and I think you're right that speed matters. Speed to consider something, speed to acknowledge a trend, and then speed to actually take action. I think fortune favors the bold in a lot of these situations. And even if you don't have all the answers, if you have conviction, you're building something that's ultimately interesting and engaging for consumers in your community. That's something that if you're early to it, you can really get that first mover advantage. Yeah, you mentioned something earlier about how when you first started working with or at least met Gary, you thought it was very impressive how he was basically building everything off his own personal brand. What are like the challenges or the advantages, I guess, that comes with that when when you speak about your business in particular? I think the advantages are Gary has created an incredible like top funnel awareness for what he stands for. And obviously the name Vayner, Gary Vaynerchuk and, and VaynerMedia, people make that connection. Gary is the spokesperson for the brand and he's our number one cheerleader and advocate, which is a huge help, especially when you're going to launch something that's a sort of net new business model. I will say everyone in New York and New Jersey is who works in marketing has heard of Gary. It was a very different story when you're in Tokyo or you're in Bangkok, where you know our first cover slide of the deck would say something like "founded by Gary V," and they would stare very blankly, like "what is Gary V?" And that was a new thing for us to learn as well: was how do we introduce ourselves without the context of Gary? But in the United States, there's so much context of Gary and what he stands for, and people have seen him on TV and heard his motivational speeches and. Have a, have a very clear like awareness of, of who Gary is. And I think in the macro, it's incredibly helpful for us. It's also incredibly helpful for us because Gary is the first guinea pig to test every TikTok reel and IG, NFT beta, and all of these things that gives us that hands-on experience with platforms and products that I think differentiates Vayner from a lot of other consultancies and agencies is that we're also practitioners. Yeah. It creates this interesting flywheel, right? Where not only is he able to test these concepts and people are able to see kind of how they work in real time, but also now that you guys are expanding outside of the United States and in more global territories, like it's additive to his brand also because they may be learning about him for the first time to your point of like introducing what is a Gary V, right? Like I think at some point it's probably helpful to his personal brand also. Absolutely. It is a flywheel that Gary has across the different businesses of his personal brand, the VaynerX companies, other companies that he invests in who sometimes we work with. So it creates this really nice flywheel that creates more awareness and also more testing and learning and speed across our organization of like, hey, we just launched this. Let us tell you how this platform works so that we can apply it on, you know, a new brand campaign or something else internationally. So that I think is the the biggest advantage to us. And 
Very few sort of companies in our vertical, I guess, is advertising and marketing have CEOs and chairmen that are like literally practitioners themselves. You talk to most other agency CEOs, I don't think they know how to make a TikTok, much less have millions of followers on that platform. So Gary really has that like hands-on experience with doing things. Same as, you know, if you're talking to other Web3 consultancies, how many of their, you know, chairmen have actually launched billion dollar companies based off NFTs. We're really differentiated in that aspect. And, and Gary lets you know us as the team get really involved with it as well, actually bringing everything to life, considering the different opportunities and getting hands-on with what we're building so that we can, can scale that across our broader organization. Gotcha. I'd love to spend some time in just talking through like, I don't know if it's a use case or kind of how you approach a specific client, but maybe first we'll start with just who are the clients, right? Like, who are you guys working with? Is it just, you find the, the people that have the most valuable intellectual property and you go from there? Is it corporations? Is it athletes, celebrities? Just talk me through kind of how you think about the top of the funnel and who you actually decide to work with. Yeah, we're fortunate to have a pretty good funnel of inbound because people see what, what VFriends has done. People see what some of our other programs and projects have done. So we have a lot of incoming partners who want to work with us. And at V3, we partner with leading enterprises and intellectual property owners. Enterprises being primarily corporations, but could be something else as well. It could be sports association, something like that. But organizations who have who have an existing relationship with their consumers and they're looking to take it to that next level. And that could mean a lot of different things, right? It could mean a metaverse experience. It could mean an NFT program. It could mean simplifying their supply chain via blockchain technology. A lot of different things, both strategically through collaborations, and then also through their own programs, which you know we've built with many partners and we'll continue to develop those out across our ecosystem. And then leading IP owners, we're really interested in doing more in that space to help sort of revolutionize the collecting experience, the community experience for true fans and really tapping into that fandom that exists with some of the most valuable IP. We've seen a lot in the past 18 months of people building new IP in a limited amount of success bringing existing IP into the Web3 ecosystem in a successful and sustainable manner. But we think that that's a big opportunity for the future. And why, why do you think that is, first off, like, why do you think people have not only struggled to do that, but why do you think that that's big in the future? I think people have struggled to do it because right now this sort of NFT collector audience is very, it's very like CryptoPunk ethos, right? It's very like fight the man kind of thing. So yeah. they're happy to, to celebrate and support folks who are building sort of from the ground up. And I think it's also like such a tight knit community that it's a small and tight knit community of people who are like deep into the space, deep collectors who have looked at different sort of digital first artists and view those as sort of most important versus something that they view as a not original. Because a lot of the, the digital art is like created as like a one of one or completely original piece that hasn't existed anywhere else ever. So I think that's a little bit of why that hasn't hit. The second part of why it hasn't hit is what I see a lot of like mainstream companies and IP owners trying to do is hit both is hit the web three audience and hit their existing audience. It's very hard to hit that like intersection of the Venn diagram. It's easy to do one well, but doing both well is very tricky. So I think that's another reason that, you know, the normal people are scared off by the complications and the ETH and the confusing consumer experience. And the web three people will be kind of like scared off by the putting in their name and information and credit card style type of stuff. So it's really threading the needle of hitting in something that applies to both. I think for most companies, it makes sense to do one really well. Yeah. Is there anyone that you can use in as an example that you think has done it really well? Yeah, I'll, I'll use two examples. So I think Time Magazine has done an incredible job with building 
a community that's really Web3 native. And they have a collection called Time Pieces that features a number of emerging creators. Just today, actually, they dropped a new cover of Time, which is both physical and a digital copy, which is the, the artist is a guy called Micah Johnson and his character, Akutar, sort of featured on the cover. They've done an incredible job of embracing the early adopters and building a new platform for Time that leverages Web3. And on the other side, I'll say, I think Anheuser-Busch and what they've done with a couple of their brands has been really smart in catering to their super loyalists in a way that both web-free natives and sort of hardcore fans can participate in by doing things like credit card and, you know, a Shopify website, an easy way to participate across whether you're a web-free native or you're you're sort of a, a normal brand fan. So I think those are two companies that have done a good job and also sustainably done a good job. The reason I mentioned those two is they've both been in this game for over a year, which also helps to show their commitment to the space beyond just a one-off drop, which many brands and celebrities have done and then not had much of a follow-up. Yeah, I was going to ask about that too, because I think most people realize by now, whether you're following kind of NFT and crypto space or not, there has certainly been a leveling off of sorts kind of within the volume and the activity and the prices and all that kind of stuff. So people that have been in and around the space for a long period of time, it's not necessarily something that's unique or not normal to, to some extent, whether that's good or bad. But for newer people, people that haven't been around as much, maybe they might have lost interest or maybe they might be out of it completely. Maybe brands just stopped doing some of these activations or, or drops, et cetera. What are you advising people around this? And like, what are the conversations you're having today? Are people losing interest? Are people doubling down on this strategy? Are the people that are still active getting rewarded more than they probably would have? Just like talk me through kind of what you're seeing in the space. Yeah. So what we're saying is now is the time to build. It's funny because even though it's a bear market, like every week there's more news about like Disney creating a Web3 accelerator program. You know, Snap is is creating NFT ecosystem. Like Reddit just launched this new NFT avatars that they don't even call NFTs, but they're blockchain based avatars. So we're advising enterprises that now is the time to build and now is the time to create infrastructure and opportunities and programs that are going to be successful, not just with the early adopters, but with that sort of early majority, which we view as the next wave that's kind of like incoming. I think that while there's certainly been a cooling off of pricing and some amount of like trading activity, also, if you look at the number of wallets and the developer activity, that continues to be a positive sign that this is you know, increasing and growing in terms of user penetration, in terms of developers who can actually build in this space. So we view this time as a builder's market, as a time to create interesting programs and design things that are going to be scalable into the future, especially now that it, the expectations have kind of come down a little bit. I think in the last 18 months, there was just so much money flying around that a lot of people use that as, as their opportunity signal while missing out on the broader picture that Web3 is going to fundamentally usher in the next era of consumer behavior, which will mean digitally owning things. So we view this time as like a very healthy period to build things, to experiment. If you're a brand, to get in without the without thinking so much about the hyper-commercialization. I will note though that you know brands are still selling out projects on a regular basis. Like Lacoste dropped something really nice a couple of weeks ago that they sold out. But I think that we're in this season right now of lowered expectations from a pricing and immediate return perspective and more of a building long-term thinking perspective. And, and at Vayner, we've always been very clear about that. That's, you know, was on our website for a year. It said we're thinking like 99% of NFT projects are thinking short-term. We are thinking about this as a long-term, it's a long-term game. Gary's said publicly many times he thinks 99% of NFT projects will go to zero. 
but we want to build that one percent. We think the one percent is is really going to change the game. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that sentiment from Gary for sure. And I think when you step outside of NFTs and, and crypto more broadly, also like some of this stuff is probably good in the long run, right? Where you're getting like a reallocation of capital and not only financial but human capital, and people are starting to figure out where developers should be going and where what projects are worthwhile and what companies are worthwhile, and it's just like a reallocation of some of that stuff. So I think you know you obviously don't want it to happen for a decade and people to lose a bunch of money and all these things, but ultimately. If you're going to come out on the other side with an industry that is, to your point, changing consumer behavior, a lot of this is necessary pain in the short term for for longer term probably gain. But I would be curious, like, what are the conversations like and like, how are those evolved? Because I assume when you guys first started doing this, it was a lot of like, what is this? And, and just more explanation. Maybe that's changed more so over the last year or two years since you've really launched the agency. But like... What are people saying today? Do CMOs get it? Are more people coming to you? Has the market slowed down? Just talk me through your conversations really with some of these leaders in the space. Yeah, a year ago, it was really elementary, just explaining like why someone would want to own something digitally. Yeah. You know, a lot of like right click save as kind of combating. That was like a year ago. That was my number one sort of explanation now. And were they coming from like internet based companies or were they more like physical product, like packaged goods companies or both? Both. Really both. Because the concept of digital ownership is a pretty big concept that's like very new. Like everyone has used the internet for a decade plus, right? Sometimes two decades plus. And they haven't owned anything. And like that isn't really a concept they understand with the exception of gaming companies. They definitely understand that. They understand people will pay money to buy something digitally. That's how their whole business is built. But, you know, even at, at digital first companies, it's di- that was a new conversation. So that was a year ago, was combating right-click save as. Today, it's combating, oh, this e- ecosystem is combusting. Like, is this all a scam kind of thing? Because that's what, you know, is happening in the headlines that people read. I did a bunch of interviews on Friday. And, of course, the reporters are all like, so it looks like price are really down. Like, is the NFT thing over? And our response to that is, yes, prices are down. As you just said, anyone who's followed the crypto market for the past couple of years knows that this is actually pretty normal and sees the opportunity for this to be a healthy sort of building period. And I think that conversations have also shifted in terms of not originally it was like NFTs and money. Now there's a lot of curiosity and also a lot of misinformation on the metaverse. Our perspective at Vayner is the metaverse is a little bit further away than people think. You will talk about spending a million dollars building these ecosystems and, you know, clubhouses and in places like Sandbox and Decentraland and Roblox. And while I think there's a lot of interesting sort of potential there, like the reality is not exactly aligned to how people think about it in the headlines. Anyone can go see the stats on how many users per day are are actually actively in some of these ecosystems. And in some very well-known places, it's under a thousand per day, which is a very small number if you're, you know, a large company that needs to reach billions of people. So there's a lot of curiosity in the metaverse today. We do a lot of explaining and, and sort of articulation on what the opportunity is today and tomorrow there. And I think also there still is a lot of education around how all of this stuff works and why it's important. I just got back from Cannes a couple of weeks ago and there's a lot of like CMOs and their leadership teams are really interested in what's happening, but they are not practitioners themselves. The same way we talked about TikTok where, you know, have, nobody there has a TikTok either. We're at that same cycle with them of explaining how this is different, how it actually works. And education is the biggest unlock for actually getting brands to understand what the opportunity is here. 
Yeah, I was going to say, it feels like you see some of the people that are doing it the best, and especially people that did it early on. Most, if not all of them, if I remember correctly, had someone in the leadership team or someone that like was in the decision-making position that was a practitioner, right? That had used this kind of stuff or was interested in it. And I think to your point, like that's been super important because just like TikTok, just like social media, just like any of these other marketing practices, if you're not a user and you don't really understand the fundamental value of it at that kind of base layer, then you're much less likely to adopt it in a kind of quick fashion. Yeah. And I think the last thing that I'll say that has sort of changed in the conversation is now they've been pitched by a lot of different people. There are a lot of like new NFT startups. I think a year ago, a year and a half ago, we were really the only game in town, their first entry to what this stuff meant. Now there's a whole ecosystem that's thriving of partners who are building, who are doing cool things, whether it's in the metaverse or with NFTs or with crypto. And I think that's an amazing thing because it starts to showcase the spectrum of all the different ways that these enterprises and intellectual property owners can engage in Web3. We hosted like a demo day last week, secret plug for Vayner Web3 demo, demo day, and had 45 different partners come in and showcase what they're building. And I think that's amazing because the more, more smart people who are building in this space, the faster that these enterprises will be able to move. And what does this look like? I know it's hard to project out, obviously, you know, even two years, but five years or 10 years is even more difficult. But like, as with any other kind of technology, whether it's the internet or social media or anything, really, this stuff starts to compound pretty quickly if you if you look at it and, and you zoom out a decade from now. What does this look like from like an enterprise side? Is there like a full team of people that are working on this full time at almost every Fortune 500 company? What kind of strategies are they rolling out? Do they have other products? Like, Just talk me through kind of how you guys see this big picture. Yeah, I think if we fast forward five years, most companies will have a team who specializes in Web3 or that team might even be integrated within their org by then. Usually the way that companies do it is they'll have like a specialist team or a couple of people who really get it to start. And then in time that kind of folds into their like broader ecosystem. Like I saw this happen with search and social where there were specialists and now it's kind of all folded into like the broader marketing organization or business organization. I think it could go two ways. One, potentially in the world of marketing and two, potentially in like the like B2B like backend. If you look at the ways that blockchain can be utilized, I think there's a lot that are not consumer facing. That are about improving supply chain, improving efficiency, improving security for within enterprises outside of just the like NFTs as a loyalty play, as a consumer engagement touch point, as a marketing element and aspect, as in metaverse integration. I think we'll see both sides, but we've already started to see a lot of enterprises hiring within their organizations for Web3, whether we're talking about Adidas or Nike or PepsiCo, many other companies who are building out these internal teams who really understand this space. And, and in five years, those teams will either be very robust or they'll be integrated within the sort of broader org. How do you explain like Web3 or, or the metaverse to someone that has never even heard of these concepts or maybe heard of them, but certainly doesn't understand them? Yeah, I'd like to use the parallels from like Web1, which was websites, right? You could search anything and this enabled unparalleled access to information. So you would sign in with your email and you would sign in with your password, right? Like web one, you could access information for the first time. Web two, you could access information and also create information. So think about social media. You could consume content, you could read content, but you could also write content. You could post your own photos to Instagram. You could post tweets on Twitter and you started to be able to consume. And you also were able to log in with not just your email and password, but you could log in with your Google account or with your Facebook account. And that unlocked your access to the internet. Web3, you're going to be able to read information, write information, and own information. So not only will you be able to read anything on a website, 
post anything you want on social networks, but you'll actually be able to own things digitally that go with you across your digital experience. And instead of logging in with your Google or Facebook account, you'll be able to log in with your wallet, which will be like your unique identifier in the world of Web3. So when you think about it that way, it's like this progression of the internet that makes logical sense. We haven't been able to own things before, but it makes a lot of sense that we would. The same way like I own my AirPods or I own, you know, this glass, like I'll be able to own things digitally that might have direct utility or I might get them because I think it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like we're headed that way for sure. I think, I think the bigger question to some people is probably like, how does it look and and how does this work? Because it certainly makes sense. Not only have people visually represented themselves through expensive items or goods for a long period of time in the physical world, but you would imagine that if we're going to spend a large percentage of our life on the digital side of things, that they would want to do the same thing. And then the same thing goes for the ability to own things, right? If I, if I create a video, if I create a podcast, if I create content online, it's probably pretty valuable for me to capture more of that upside and actually physically own that versus YouTube monetizing it how they want to or someone else monetizing it through ads and, and the back end. So I am on board with that. I think the bigger question is just like what happens over the next few years as people continue to build in this space while we're in a bear market or, or so forth. But it's super fascinating. I think like if we zoomed out and even look where we've come in the past two or three years, people would be like shocked. But at some point, like... I, I use Bitcoin as an example because I, I spend probably much more of my time focused on that kind of stuff. You know, I first started buying Bitcoin several years ago, and I've been through multiple of these cycles now. And it's gotten to the point where I just I don't even try to defend it anymore because it's just not worthwhile from a time perspective because of the amount of people that are rooting for some of these things to fail, whether whether that's genuine or not. And I think that NFTs are probably experiencing that to some degree also. And and people are whether they believe it or not, like. At the end of the day, you just got to be an optimist. You got to say, hey, look, if we want to accomplish these things, there's got to be some avenue or vehicle to do that. And maybe this is it. Maybe it's not. But like, it's worth a test, right? It's worth trying it out. And it's worth trying to see if this can succeed. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I've also been through many of these cycles. And, you know, you get it pumped, then it goes down. And then this is a little bit of the nature of how technology evolves, even beyond cryptocurrency, right? Like if you look at what happened with like the internet 20 years ago, and that's gone through cycles as well. Like when people were saying, is the internet a fad? Like, is this going away? Oh, it's a small, tiny percentage of people using it. I'm never going to buy a mattress online. I'm never going to buy wine online. I'm never going to post what I had for breakfast on Instagram. And yet here we are all these years later. That's just that technology adoption cycle, though, to your point, it's not exactly around bell curve. It's way more spiky when you zoom in a bit. Oh, yeah. It compounds over time for sure. And, and it gets exponential to some degree when you look at it, depending on kind of the market of the size. And I think like that can happen pretty quickly. And if you close your eyes for a year or two years and you stop or you don't have time for things or you stop looking at things, you're not as interested, like you can certainly miss it. And I think that's the point of like, even if NFTs aside, crypto aside, whatever, if you zoom out and you look at some of these cycles, a lot of the most important companies in the world today were built in times like this, right? Where you say millions of people around the world lost interest in this, what was deemed a fad, and then it came back. And next thing you know, these people were there to capitalize because of your point, right? They were building during that bear market. Absolutely. So what can we expect out of Vayner 3, right? So I know you guys rebranded from Vayner NFT to V3 now. Maybe first we'll talk about kind of what the reasoning was behind that rebrand, how you guys see that. And then two, like what is the next step for the business, right? Are you guys continuing to expand? Is it mostly US-based? Is it international? If we were to do this again in a year, like where would we be as a company? Yeah, so we evolved from Vayner NFT to Vayner 3 or V3 because we were already doing things beyond just the world of NFTs. For us, NFTs were the tip of the spear into the world of Web3. 
And since we launched, we've helped, you know, with token strategies, we've helped institutions figure out their crypto payment structures, and we've helped with metaverse plans and collaborations that start to bring Web 2 and Web 3 together as Web 2.5. So we wanted to change the name to be a little bit more reflective of our broader charter in helping shepherd enterprises through all of Web 3. And if we fast forward another year or two, I think we'll absolutely have done some programs with global reach and scale. We've already done things that include different various global holders, but it's been pretty like English and US centric to date, just because the market's kind of most engaged here and, and we're from here. I think you'll also see a couple of examples of work that goes beyond just NFT programs, whether that's metaverse or crypto or tokens or DAOs, that whole spectrum we're going to be playing across there. And some of the work that you'll see from V3 will be public, like, you know, brand launches and programs and things that you can buy into or get rewarded with or whatever. And a lot of it will actually be behind the scenes. So a lot of the work that we do at V3 is, is guiding these enterprises and their executives through what's actually happening and what are the places for them to play. That's been a place where we've seen a lot of demand and also a lot of opportunity, really influencing the executive team to understand what the opportunity is. And of course, then, you know, decide on which programs they're going to actually green light to bring to life. But I think there'll be, Gary has this this analogy that I think is hilarious, but Vayner 3 is both cookbook writer and a chef. Sometimes we're writing the cookbooks to actually deliver to these enterprises to say, this is how you should do it. This is how you should think about it. And maybe they're going to make some of the recipes, but not all. But at times we'll also be a chef and actually bringing some things to life from a production standpoint. Just today, actually, we had a drop with Gatorade that we worked with the one of team on. It's their athlete of the year program that it's a pack of three, $5 each, all proceeds go to charity. So that's an example of one of the the meals that we're cooking up, but expect Vayner 3 to be doing things at a global scale, both sort of pure consultancy and some things that are out in the market where consumers can directly participate. You can also expect us to continue to do a lot of thought leadership. That's a place where we want to continue investing time and energy to help welcome more individuals into the Web3 space. I love it. I love it. I, I think it is obvious to anyone right now, right, that you guys are kind of leading and at the forefront of this by not only being quick and decisive, but but putting a lot of time, energy, effort, and money behind it. So kudos to you. I hope you guys are successful. Where can I send people to learn more about V3 and find you on the internet specifically? Vayner3.com. Very easy, V-A-Y-N-E-R-3.com. And we have Twitter handles and LinkedIn and Instagram. So please follow us along and, and join if you're interested. And I'm Avery Akinini. So Avery underscore Akinini on all the major social networks and platforms. And I'd love to connect with some of your listeners across social. Amazing. Avery, thank you so much for your time today. And hopefully we'll have to do this again in another year when V3 has has expanded even more and working with many more companies and doing awesome things. So thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much, Joe. All right, everyone. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, I appreciate you listening to The Joe Pomp Show. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify so that you don't miss any episodes going forward. And if you are looking for additional content, Check out my daily newsletter at readhuddleup.com or follow me on Twitter at Joe Pompliano. I hope you have a great day and I'll see you next time.